0: Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's another week, it's another show. And thank you for downloading and pressing play. Um, Isn't this interesting? I'm starting the show because, ladies and gentlemen, dear listeners, David has refused. David watched this episode, and he has walked directly into the ocean. We may never see him again or hear the wonderful dulcet tones of his accents, of his, his rich little, like, personality. where well, he becomes the characters and gives us an entire reading. So I'm sorry this episode is just going to be me because David has apparently no opinions, he said. And he refused. So... Okay, let's... I'm here. I'm here. I'm here
1: on the Zoom call. I did connect. I have opinions, Matthew, and I do oh. have to state them.
0: Oh, David, I'm so glad. Ugh. I, I... J-
1: J- are are you gonna fight me on this when I say this is possibly one of the worst episodes ever in the entire
0: series? Okay, David, I'm uh, oh, I'm not gonna fight you on it, but I am going to work. I'm gonna work double time <laughs> to try to find a little bit of wh- whimsy in it. <laughs> oh, the but, whimsy! Oh my god. I, I will tell you the thought that I did have for this episode of the podcast was, David, I'm sure you're familiar, but our listeners might not be. In 1964, the wonderful Ethel Merman married Ernest Borgnine. She was married to him for about 30 days. It was a match made in, well, camp heaven, but not exactly. <laughs> Not exactly real heaven. And later in 1978, when the wonderful Ethel Merman wrote her autobiography, she donated one blank page to her marriage of Ernest Borgnine. It's like chapter 26, My Marriage to Ernest Borgnine. And then the next it's a blank page, and then the next page says chapter 28.
1: So you're saying that this should be a blank page and we should say nothing about this episode?
0: We should say thank you, dear listeners. We
1: will see you next weekend. (laughs) Right. Uh, You can find the the link in this week's uh, show notes and on this episode's webpage. And uh, smooches and goodbye.
0: (laughs) Because it dawned on me, if you don't have something nice to say, maybe you shouldn't say anything at all. And these the listeners who have been with us since the beginning who love the show as much as we do are just going to be severely disappointed if they're those people that are like, you guys are just ragging on the show. now. you clearly ate it. Mm. And this is not, this is not your episode. So yeah, (laughs) sorry. It
1: it is. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a challenge because I don't want to be, I never wanted this podcast to be that. And, of course, we know uh, I don't shit on the show. I just give it very, very highly opinionated suggestions for improvement.
0: And uh, well, we never wanted the podcast to be this, but we also never wanted the show to be this. Th- so. thank you that <laughs> we were
1: driven here. The facts of life has driven us to this awful place that we didn't want to be. And uh, you still can record next week, right? We still have our date set up to keep
0: going with it. Yep, still got week. our okay. standing appointment, David. Good.
1: <laughs> well, maybe, how about I cleanse the palate a little? Maybe we can, we haven't even started talking about the episode and getting worked up, which I do fully intend to do. But Because if you're a fan, you already know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, so how about uh, a little bit of follow-up and a little bit of nuts and
0: bolts? Mm, I would love to follow up on your nuts and bolts. Okay. Follow
1: up is we've got a few little points and bits and pieces that I thought would be interesting to bring up here. Uh, remember a couple of weeks ago we had uh, before the fall, the episode where Natalie went into the ROTC. Yes. Well, little did you and I know that our mutual friend, Aaron actually was air force ROTC in college.
0: Oh my goodness. Yes, she was. I'm for, you know, I'm well, and she knows I'm, very self-absorbed so (laughs) yeah when when the topic isn't me i'm really only half listening yeah aaron if you were talking to matthew
1: about it you know chances were he wasn't listening uh but yeah she uh says that uh but aaron wrote to me actually texted me that she went to boot camp in san antonio in july so uh think of the heat in florida only 10 times worse and her response is, yes, that is how drill sergeants actually are. She goes on to write, I don't take stuff personally, so I thought the stuff they said was hysterical. I wish I had a notebook to have written down some of the stuff that came out of their mouths. Yeah, because if you'd had that notebook, Aaron, they certainly wouldn't have seen it. Dennis Hayesburg didn't notice that Natalie was holding a notebook and a pen. Um but uh, Aaron's final word is: one of the drill sergeants was shorter than I am, and and Aaron is not a tall woman, <laughs> and no. she and she puts the rim of his hat would touch my nose. Like, how can I take that seriously? So uh, apparently, as I said, I had a suspicion that drill sergeants were like that from a a conditioning standpoint, from a kind of, you know, leveling the playing field and knocking any people down a peg or two that need to be knocked down. And uh, yeah, so there it is from someone on the inside who actually lived it and experienced it. That was our friend, Aaron. So that was the first item I wanted to do a little follow-up with. Secondly, uh, I'm gonna put in the show notes that you and I have both recently made appearances on other podcasts that we'd like to draw people's attention to. Uh, I appear on the most recent episode of Lions, Towers, and Shields. Oh, my. (laughs) Thank you. And that is Shelley Brisbane's podcast, where she talks about old movies. It is a wonderful discussion with her and several co-hosts from their podcast network that uh, she is a part of. And uh, we talk about the 1953 MGM musical Kiss Me, Kate.
0: At least somebody is.
1: Ugh. <laughs> no, Kiss Me Kate is delightful. Ann Miller in Kiss Me Kate is a force of nature. Ann Miller is a
0: force of nature. Goddamn right. She's a goddamn hurricane. <laughs> the, just picked up speed and got bigger and bigger and crazier. The more she spent time on land. Mm hmm. Very true.
1: But I talk about that on uh, Lions Towers and Shields. So uh, the link to that is in the show notes. And then, Matthew, you appeared on our dear close personal friend, Jennifer B's podcast. What do you mean you've never seen? Yeah. And and tell
0: us, what, what did you get to talk about? Oh, my God. We talked about Breakfast Club. It's a great, great, great concept for a podcast. What do you mean you've never seen? Mm hmm. It's so good. We talked about it in our
1: Betwixt episode when uh, she had asked for some advice for startup Mm. podcasts, and uh, Mm -hmm. I did happen to be listening back to something from that episode, and uh, we titled it incorrectly, and by we, I mean I. I called it What Do You Mean You Haven't Seen? That's not the name of it. It's called What Do You Mean You've Never Seen? And the the, uh, link to that is also in the show notes, and uh, if you like these shows that we've appeared on as much as we do, maybe y'all want to... Um, uh, subscribe to them and <laughs> add tens of listeners to their roster of uh, existing clientele.
0: Well, you know, it's got to be something interesting if I was willing to do it. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Me, not so much. It's
1: just, David, will you show up someplace and talk? Yes, I will. <laughs> yeah. And thirdly, for those of our listeners who are Tutti Fruities, we did talk about an episode of The Partridge Family on the last episode of TV Talkaholics that just dropped at the beginning of September.
0: David, and... how funny is it that that character made such a non-impression that we completely forgot?
1: Oh, oh, that. I know. It's so funny. I I texted you ahead about this. But yeah, We were talking about, of course, Shirley Jones being the star of the Partridge Family and David Cassidy being her stepson. And then I went on to describe that she had three other sons. She had, of course, Sean Cassidy to do Run, Run, Pop Star Fame. She had Patrick Cassidy, who is big Broadway guy, done Sondheim musicals, still does regional theater. And then I said, and Ryan Cassidy, who is a set decorator, who works behind the scenes. Completely forgetting that Ryan did start out acting in his youth. On a, a couple of shows, including a, a certain show called The Facts of Life. We forgot that he was Kevin Metcalf, Ted Metcalf's son, and lived. I mean, in our defense, we might have blocked those episodes out because they weren't very good.
0: Lived in the house,
1: David lived multiple episodes and just right over our heads between the two of us. Neither of us went, wait a minute, Ryan Cassidy was actually on the facts of life. The reason why we're here. And, uh, what's so
0: funny is you had mentioned that he was, I think you'd mentioned he was attractive and I remember Googling him and nothing came up. Yeah. he, he literally has two acting credits and so therefore he
1: doesn't appear anywhere under the guise of he is an actor performer public
0: figure he's behind the scenes i i I wonder though if his picture had come up if i if it would have dawned on me because I doubt that it would have <laughs> <laughs> and then would we have looked at the picture and gone mm-hmm okay yeah
1: so anyway, this is uh a little more insider for the um Uh, for the Tutti Frutti's with that. But if you want to hear us talk about the Partridge family, I guess it's kind of a backhanded plug where we had a very fun and lively discussion about the Partridge family. So uh, if you've been thinking about joining the Patreon, great time to do it, to get to hear the TV Talkaholics podcast uh, exclusive first access before it is someday somehow released to the general public at a later undetermined point in time. So... Okay, I can't skirt around it anymore. I've been trying to avoid it. I guess we have to start talking about Season 9, Episode 6, Up From Down Under, which had an original air date of November 14th of 1987. November. November. Put a pin in that. Okay, I would love to. It was written by Austin and Irma Collish. This is a, I believe, husband and wife team Ah, uh, they've written for the show before. This is his second of four. This is her third of five. Basically, if you do the math, uh, he he will have written four. She will have written five. And uh, they have history. We've talked about them the last time. Not going to waste any time uh, talking about it. You can Google them yourselves. What what the fuck? Am I your mother? Come on.
0: They deserve to be called out for this, though. I mean, uh, I, I mean. Or, or do I, we I deserve would...
1: to go over their impressive career no and they are responsible that's what i mean i'm not giving them any more any more airtime on my show
0: no but they deserve they they know what they did
1: yeah <laughs> oh this episode is the episode that introduces us to pippa pippa is the australian exchange student that uh, taints 16 episodes of the series <laughs> I said, Tain. Uh, She'll be here 16 of the remaining episodes. She will drift in and out of the opening credits as a regular sometimes, sometimes as not a regular uh, up until episode 13. Then I think she's there till the end of the series. Um, but uh, let's talk about Sherry Kren as she is billed in the credits here. Now she is professionally known as Sherry Austin. Uh, she's primarily a country singer. I did not know this. She started at the age of 14, opening for Johnny Cash, originally born and raised in Australia. Then she ended up over here. Uh, she lived in Nashville and recorded in the country music scene. She did Broadway. In 2005, she did Bonnie and Clyde, and then later Ring of Fire, the Johnny Cash musical. I was like, wait, Broadway credits? I'm listening. Yeah, but then you realize what Broadway credits? <laughs> But she's also written or co-written songs for such uh, country heavyweights as Blake Shelton, George Strait, and Tim McGraw, among others. I'm just like, oh, shit, that's impressive. Uh, She hasn't released an album since 2011. It was called Circus Girl. And uh, nowadays, she is 52 years old. She has a website, Sherry Austin Music. She has an Instagram. She doesn't post much to it, but on August 8th, she did record a video. Looked like she was just standing in her kitchen and she sang the reprise of Look at Me, I'm Sandra D, in honor of her recently deceased friend, Olivia Newton John. Fellow Aussie. It's very sweet. But I did pull up some of her videos on YouTube, and she's a really good singer. Like, this is like she she's got the pipes, she's got the chops. And uh, I'll post some of them on the website for this page, uh, if you want to have a look at those videos. But you can just Google Sherry Austin, and uh, you get some of her stuff, and they're they're quite delightful. It's that sort of lighter pop country that came into being, uh, you know, in within the last twenty to thirty years. That sort of lighter, fun country, not the not the old school Tex Ritter shit. Uh, but anyway, um. That's what uh, this episode brings us. And we know I was never a fan of fucking Kelly Afanato. Right. Not just because of the, why do we need another girl on this show? What did they, what did they think was lacking that this was filling a void? And uh, on top of that, she was brought to us under terrible circumstances where Kelly was vandalizing Edna's edibles, she threatened Blair, she broke merchandise, and then she stole money. So I was like, Kelly, you are out of here. You are fucking done. And now in this episode, we are introduced to Pippa, who's going to quickly become a new member of the family, and she too is brought in under false pretense and lies, lies, and more lies, to which I would respond, girl, no. (laughs) respect is something that has to be earned and if your initial out of the gate is being a lying little whore then uh sorry you do not get a place on the tv show that is near and dear to my heart you will not be accepted by me
0: period yeah and we should make it clear before we start breaking this down david that we don't want it in any way to be confused between sherry and pippa because like you said. I get why she got the part. She's she's a great little actress. Yeah. Uh, her line deliveries are, are are fine. I have no problem with Sherry at all.
1: I agree. She actually is really good actually yeah. and and Pamela Adlon, Pamela Siegel, it was no slouch either. She was a good young actress, but uh, sure. I think I think even more so talent-wise. I'm I'm actually more team Sherry than I am team Pamela. Oh, so, so am I. Yeah, yeah. We were but... talking about this before I hit record. That it's like actually I do not hate her and her performance. I think this script and the conceit and the pretense under which she is brought to us is so insane,
0: fucking crazy. I d- especially when and. I, I I don't mean to jump ahead, but especially when you have a purpose for her to be there. Not one mention of, we were just in Australia
1: uh, thank over you. the
0: summer, and oh, I wish we had met you then. Oh, you're coming to be an exchange student that mm-hmm. we didn't know was coming. That's all you need. She doesn't have to be a liar. Agreed. She, doesn't, she doesn't have to be a, a someone who has stolen an identity for God's sake. Just hey, I'm Pippa. Oh, what? Mrs. Garrett didn't tell you I was coming? Oh. <sighs> uh. I agree. Or, or even Beverly Ann. Don't you remember when you signed that thing when you all were in Australia? That was to sign up for a for a and have Beverly Ann be like, oh. But, like, not, not one mention of we were just there. I saw this man that I was in love with. Clearly, Beth has a, Beverly Ann has an Australian fetish. Because as soon as <laughs> a, a man speaks an Australian accent to her, her panties are on the ground. Um, I, I
1: believe it was cut from syndication. But you watch the full-length version. I think there is one line that maybe Tootie says, oh, we, were, we, we visited near there. Like, there's one line that does say and acknowledge.
0: Didn't they go to the school? Wasn't Natalie supposed to speak at the school?
1: Yeah, they were at the school. Yeah. So Mm
0: -hmm. We didn't visit
1: near there. I love your idea of Beverly Ann being like, excuse me? And having her say the, the form that you filled out saying that you would house a student. And have her be like, "What I, I thought I was
0: just, I thought that was our luggage claim, you know? I've never been a mother. Now I've got two kids. Thank like, you. Th- yes. Th- thank you. Goodbye, everybody. This has been fun. It's we been fixed, fun. It's been we fun. We fixed the episode.
1: But the the pretense of involving Mrs. Garrett and, and all that. And you know what? Let me do a longer form synopsis, Matthew, and then we can kind of jump in and hop around. I think I do want to do it that way, okay? Do it. So, so in this is longer form synopsis. So we're going to kind of go lightly scene by scene. The first scene happens late at night. The doorbell is ringing. All of the girls come down. All of them, by the way, not just one of them. All the girls come down, including Beverly Ann. Andy comes up to answer the door. And it is this young, uh, sweet, darling, innocent Australian girl. Her name is Franny. And she says that, well, here I am. And apparently, she's looking for Mrs. Garrett because Mrs. Garrett had signed some sort of a thing. Uh, Mrs. Garrett had made some sort of arrangement, signing her up to house a student from the Kalanga School. I think that's what it was called, the uh, sister school to Eastland that is in Australia, which was the reason why they went down under in the TV movie. So uh, they're like, okay, we didn't know you were coming. It's the middle of the night. Uh, The cab driver needs to be paid. We'll talk about the cab driver in a couple minutes. But uh, basically, they're just like, well, we didn't know you were coming. We don't know who you are. You're a total stranger. Come on in. Hang out. Spend the night. We're cool. Awesome. Next morning, we're in the kitchen. Andy is, of course, all dressed up because he's like, oh, there's a girl in the house and she's close to my age. Maybe I'll get to fuck her. And uh, I'm sorry. That's That's not literal, that's the thought bubble of horny little Andy. And at least in the kitchen, in this scene, Joe starts to raise doubts and say, we don't know that this chick is for real, you know. Do we really know that Mrs. Garrett signed up for something? And Joe starts kind of being the naysayer, which is actually perfect, I will credit the writers for this. And the others are all, oh, Joe, you're just overreacting. Oh, Joe, you're just a fucking bitch, doesn't trust people. So they uh, make Joe doubt her own doubts and they're dismissive. At which point we then see Franny on the phone in the living room, fake calling out sick from school. Later, Pippa talks Andy into skipping school and going into the city. You don't corrupt my Andy. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck is that? Uh, Later on in the episode, Beverly Ann does miraculously find a letter that, That apparently Edna did leave behind, verifying that yes, she did sign up for this shit.
0: That survived the fire. (laughs) Yep.
1: Well, no, the down under came after the fire.
0: But Mrs. Garrett didn't go to down under.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh God, what the fuck is happening? So that
0: that that letter's been there for how long? Yeah. It's yeah. Whatever. Um. Go through your junk drawer, girls, (laughs) every once in a while.
1: (laughs) So no sooner do we feel like, okay, this is on the up and up, and this girl, Franny, needs to be here. Ding dong. It's an Australian dude, literally dressed like Crocodile Dundee. And Natalie makes a joke, it's Crocodile Dundee! And the audience laughs their
0: asses off. Remember, in our preparations for this season... Crocodile Dundee was like the number one <laughs> movie.
1: Oh, yeah. Our Australian Obsession. And, you know, that so. gave birth to the down under and all that. And Livy Newton John, <laughs> God rest her soul. Uh so yeah. Um, but this is Pippa's father. And they're like, Uh, okay and who the fuck is pippa and he's like oh you probably know her as franny franny is her best friend who was supposed to come to eastland to be an exchange student at the last minute she had to to drop out and so pippa stole her friend's identity and flew to the states alone i guess you could do that in the 80s i guess that's not as crazy as it might sound and so now to retrieve her her dad has come back And so the commercial is where we go to the, oh, my God, this girl's an imposter. She's a fake. So then after the commercial, the big question is, uh, well, what are we going to do? They're missing because the kids went into the city and we haven't heard from them. But then when they are found and then Pippa is told, you little lying fucking cunt, get out of our lives. Then suddenly there's a wave of sympathy that suddenly turns when they realize her dad works a lot, so she's home and she gets lonely.
0: Oh Aww. God, there it is. Oh God, there it is. That's what. There's what. It's the Australian accent.
1: Ugh. Oh, thank you for noticing. I've been working on it. And so, at the last minute, when the dad is about to drag her back to Australia, they're like, "Oh, she can stay with us. Come on, let's let's add her to the TV show." And all is fine and good and well in the Facts of Life Cinematic Universe, or the Folk U.
0: Yeah, we definitely got Folk you would this season. Oh, this we
1: got Folk you would up the you know what. Um, so uh, now we can just sort of uh, throw throw shit to the wall. Here's one thing I know that Matthew loved about the episode. All the constant barrage of Australian phrases, idioms, vernacular, and colloquialisms that both Pippa does. And then we get Tootie mimicking them just like she did in the movie. Remember how much you enjoyed that, Matthew? Hey, are you on a walkabout? (laughs) Let's go grill some shrimp on the barbie. (laughs) So it's it's a lot. It is a lot. And uh, the two that I want to point out is when she says, is Mrs. Garrett here? They say, uh, no, she's not with us anymore. And she says,
0: oh, my goodness, she's cocked it. And they're like, excuse me? We have to spend 10 minutes hearing three different phrases. And one of the times that comedy is not in threes, for God's sake. It didn't get funnier.
1: Yeah. You know, headed in her dinner plate. What? Curled up her toes. What finally someone says, if you're asking if she's dead, she's not Jesus. Um, so I, I won't belabor that. There was that, and then the one other one that I thought was worthy of. Um, wh- when she wanted to walk around campus and uh check out the guys, you know, look and scout out the handsome men, I believe she calls that spunk spotting. Oh, Matthew. Our days of spunk spotting are clearly over, but...
0: Well, what campus did she go to? Because I thought Eastland was an all-girls school.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to do you one better, Matthew. I thought Eastland was a residential school. It is a boarding
0: school. Yeah, I I had that question down here, too. Why
1: would Mrs. Garrett or Beverly Ann or who the fuck ever Sign up to house a student at a private school that people pay to. It's not like it's a public school and, you know, a, a situation like Joe's where they'd be kids on scholarship and underprivileged and disenfranchised. It's a private, rich people school, as is the the Kalunga school, allegedly, because it's a sister school. So these are people who can afford. It's like the housing is included. If it's not there, you, you ain't going there. Tootie and Natalie yeah. were a special case. So the whole idea of them needing housing is preposterous. The idea that Mrs. Garrett would sign up for it and not tell the girls. That's what I wrote preposterous.
0: down. The first thing I my first noticed. Perfect, Mrs. Garrett forgot. Now that she's gone, we find out that she had a flaw. What? <laughs> I found that the most difficult part of this whole episode to swallow, David.
1: Yeah, it was the most off-brand of moments, that's for sure. Um, But it turns out she, you know, she left the letter behind, apparently. But uh, again, calling BS on this conceit is that this is November of 1987. Is this why you said put a pin in it? Because Mrs. Garrett left in September of 1986, 14 months prior.
0: Well, that, and why is somebody coming to school in November?
1: I, agreed. Why is the semester starting now? Agreed. Yeah, like, you know, the the Thanksgiving episode where Blair and Joe are picking courses. It's like, really? Come on. Um, I have in multiple places in my notes, I would like to end the episode, please. I just, throughout, the, I'm just like, could this just, uh, could we just end this the the infractions against logic that we are being presented with are to the point where I was like, I need to turn this off. This is, this is beyond multiverse opposite day, crazy shit. It's like, did did you guys even watch the show that you're allegedly on the writing staff and producers for? Because it just makes no sense that Mrs. Garrett would sign up. Uh, it just makes no sense. And, and oh, another thing to add to that list, why would Mrs. Garrett sign up to house a student? Where was she gonna put him? She's got four girls sharing one bedroom and one bathroom. What? We know they didn't really have a guest room. We always wondered where the fuck Monica slept. We think Monica took a nap on on Edna's bed when she was visiting. We know Andy is living downstairs in the cellar by the boiler. So they didn't even have room for Andy and he's Cloris's adopted son. Where? What were the advantages? I don't know what was to be gained by this. What was the...
0: I wish I had an answer for you. I can't even figure out what the conference was like when they were like, all right, kids, we're going to, we're going to add an Australian kid to the show. Figure it out. And that was what they came up with. All right. Yeah. And again, this whole
1: thing of, well, Kim Fields is 18 now, so getting a little long in the tooth and, you know, we don't, we don't have any underage girls that we can sexualize and, uh, do creepy things with, but that you know, Pippa is she's the cousin Oliver of this show. It's like, why did did you you had enough people, and if your writing staff had had two brain cells to put together, they could have come up with some creative plots and situations to put those characters into. Now that they're all grown up and college age or working or
0: whatever. Well, let's <sighs> start at the beginning, David. Start take, where what's where do your where do your notes begin? I take issue with the very first scene. I want to know if they told everybody that it's 12 degrees in the house at night. Because oh. while they're all standing around inside the house, they're all acting like it is just the North pole inside mm-hmm. that house. And I get it. You get up in the middle of the night in November and you're like, Ooh, brr. but like Jesus Christ, they were like huddling together. Like the heat was out for God's sake. They just, I, I don't know if that was like the specific direction or they all miraculously took that. They're like, now remember it's nighttime. It's chilly in here. And they took that to heart because they are acting like, they have not had heat in days. <laughs> and Pippa did have a coat on, and she was doing a ha, yeah. Um, sorry, well, she to... was outside.
1: Yeah, at I'm least she out... was outside. Yeah, but yeah, it's like they're acting like it was just as cold inside without <laughs> the covers over them. Right. The the weird thing about this first scene is that when it is decided that she would stay there, like you know, well, let's stay here and we'll work it, we'll work out the the details tomorrow. My thing is she, she elicits no sympathy, especially with the paying of the cab driver. You know what would have helped even something as simple as, oh, you weren't expecting me. Well, gosh, I, I, you know, I know the school is probably closed. I don't have anywhere to go. Even if she just said that and have them be like, well, well, don't worry, of course, we're not going to kick you out. At least something like that. We do know that, Beverly Ann and the girls are are generous in that sense. But there's no sense of sympathy about her. And uh, the other thing is, uh, in addition to I would like to end the episode, please, throughout uh, my notes, I also have, may I introduce you to the telephone? (laughs) Uh, Because they are it's typical it's typical la sitcom writing where they're just like okay so she's an australian she uh, hops on a plane and then she's here it takes tens of hours in the teens of hours to fly from australia to new york and then for the father to say what my daughter is missing well i'm going to fly and find i'm going to call ahead and see if i can maybe get a a little bit of a sense of where she is I'm just going to fly there blind and just show up at someone's doorstep, knock, knock, looking for my daughter.
0: It's like, you couldn't have called either, huh? Well, Beverly Ann does ask him. She's like, you flew all the way over here. Could you have called? She does. She does. (laughs) Absolutely. She is right. Now, the other thing is, it's
1: like another, may I introduce you to the telephone? We know that Edna is in the Peace Corps in Africa. She is not in the middle of the desert, living in a hut with no running water and no whatever i I don't know where she is but because she's connected to the peace corps there are ways to contact her also it may take a day or two but this whole thing of uh, what we gosh we don't know and you know she's in africa and africa as a whole as a country is uh unreachable so uh uh, hmm, I'm, I'm calling BS a little bit on that. Again, if they had just said, well, we can contact her, but it can take some time, depending. Fine, I would have given you that if you had inserted a teeny tiny little justification of something resembling common sense.
0: You said we were going to talk about the taxi driver.
1: Yes, let's talk about the taxi driver. Taxi drivers played by Ken Lerner, L E R N E R. He has 156 credits in a 45-year career. Uh, he is still alive. He is still working. Back in the 70s, before the facts of life, he was on Happy Days as one of the Malachi brothers. The Malachi Crunch in the Demolition Derby episode with with Pinky Tuscadero, <laughs> the wonderful Roz Kelly. I'd buy that. He was one of the Malachi brothers. Look it up. This picture's on, uh, when you just Google his name, it's one of the ones that comes up. He was also the agent slash accompanist to Fabian when Fabian appeared as himself on Laverne and Shirley, which we talked about when he and Bobby Rydell appeared on this show. And uh, Ken Lerner has done many movies, tons of TV, tons and tons of TV. Uh, He was Principal Flutie on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And most recently he's had a recurring role
0: Uh, of Lou Schwartz on The Goldbergs. I just... The joke that they gave Natalie when he says it was $175. Did that include dinner and a show? (laughs) Ha ha! Why wasn't the joke, did you drive from Australia? Yeah, (laughs) true, so true.
1: Yeah, $179 cab ride. That's a fucking lot of money. I didn't look at the conversion, did you?
0: No, but I mean... I I would guess it's a lot of money, but considering that it costs like a hundred bucks to get from JFK into the city, like as a flat fee, like it didn't seem that outrageous to me.
1: How much? Let's take a bet $179 in 1987 to 2022. Probably 450. I'm going to say 520. I haven't hit search yet. You win. It was $466.84. I went over, so
0: er, nope, I don't win the showcase. And because I was within $100, I win both showcases. And you get to reach inside Bob Barker's pocket and fish around for a special prize. David, that's if you get the price exactly correct in Contestants row. Oh, excuse uh, me. Could you please? <laughs> the fact that she is very, very comfortable. It was almost like Bull in a China shop. She kind of walked in and was like, I'm here. And it was almost as bad as the lady who came to dinner, who yeah. was just unapologetically in the way. And the, the fact that she goes, she said something and she goes, Oh, thanks, Bev. You've known me for 10 minutes. Yeah. Did you just call me Bev? Bitch, I will
1: cut you. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And and again, throwing around all your terms, all your colloquialisms, it's like, girl, you do know you're in another country. You do know there are differences in the language. You could be a little bit
0: more even keel. Well, and I wonder, I wonder because I don't know any... Um, Australians, and I know you've been to Australia, David. Oh I yes, do know I have. That. Thank you
1: very much, Matthew.
0: Um, I do remember you forcing that information on me. Um, wow. But I don't. I want to know if that is actually how Australians speak. Yeah. Uh, hmm
1: like and and remember those terms do change over time so it could be you know this is the gag me with a spoon you know what i mean so but i want to know if it's like
0: you know like like when they write a southern character and it's all about grits and gravy and you know and And little old and little little old old and like and darling and all that darling are you gonna park your little old car in that yeah. little old driveway it's like ugh. and and i guess it is a trope like like for southerners to be like oh i was on him like mustard on a tie at a county fair mm-hmm. or oh i'm gonna cover his butt like tatty whities or <laughs> you know what i mean like I, yeah I, I i get that that's a trope but like i just wondered if this is how they actually talk like i mean you know when we say like if we were talking about somebody dying and I was like, Oh, she went tits up. <laughs> <laughs> y- you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, like, we
1: wh- wouldn't go to Australia and say what? Oh, geez. She's three sheets to the wind. Oh, she's shit faced. Huh? Like we wouldn't We'd say, we just say she's drunk. We're like mm. a, a semi-intelligent person is aware of when they're being colloquial and uh, yeah. I, I'm I I wonder the same thing, Matthew. And I would dare say I will bet an Aussie who was alive in 1987. If, uh, listeners, if you know somebody, please let us know. We want to know.
0: Did you notice in the next scene, David, when everybody's coming downstairs?
1: What? Where, where I... every
0: where everybody exited to? Natalie exits into the shop, David.
1: Oh, I did not see that.
0: Wow. I
1: was thrilled at the top of the episode that all the girls came from the top, top balcony, which is correct. And Beverly Ann came from that left balcony, which is correct. I was glad that they didn't fuck with that like they have been in recent weeks where it's just like, hey, I'm going to go to bed. I'm sleeping in Beverly Ann's room tonight. Hey. But yeah, she did go out to the I did not
0: notice that. Did you see the shop? No, we did not see the shop. I, I didn't think so. And it is at the top of my it is at the top of my notes that I go to every week now, so I can remember. I need to we need to t- find and pinpoint the last time we see over our heads. Mm-hmm. Yep, I cannot we, wait. We might have already seen it for the last time, and we just don't know yet.
1: I feel like there's one more appearance of it. I feel like there's at least one. I I I can't remember why I think that, but um let's talk about the next morning though when we're having breakfast did you notice what they were having as part of a nutritious breakfast matthew root loops (laughs) what were they having at least at least they covered the f and not the r and it would have been foot loops depends on whose feet (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it is obviously fruit loops that they have cut they just put tape right over it so that doesn't have any name at all but it's obvious you can see toucan fucking sam (laughs) And Lisa Welchel, you know, and she doesn't have a lot in this episode, girl was hamming it up and upstaging in this scene where she's doing a bit where you can tell she's looking inside to try to find the prize, you know, the way you'd hold a cereal box sideways and find the prize. I was like, oh my God. But it was just, it wasn't a part of the scene. It was just something that Lisa Welchel chose to do and it was almost a little out of character. It was so uh, hammy and a a touch broad. And yet I loved it for the
0: nostalgia. My final note on the whole episode is thank God for Lisa Welchel. Yep. She nailed every line she had in the whole episode. And that was the first thing where I was like, God, I love that woman. Mm
1: -hmm. Nope. She was magnificent. When Andy comes up in his Navy blue sports jacket and his gray pants and his leopard print tie and leopard print tie. I'm like, didn't, <laughs> didn't Beverly Ann have to alter a suit for him to go to graduation just a few months before. Now, suddenly he has these dress up duds and okay, whatever. I <laughs> guess growing boy
0: needs to have it for whatever. Um, Again, another better joke. They talk about her going to Eastland and Tootie says um, something about the food at Eastland.
1: Oh, yeah. In her sitcom lying. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I loved Eastland. It was really nice. And
0: uh, the food's really good, too. Well, and and you've already mentioned Mrs. Garrett. Why not give her a little backhanded compliment or something? Because she says, you're not going to Eastland. The food sucks. Yeah. Why wasn't it? Oh, the food at Eastland hasn't been good since Mrs. Garrett left. I thought that too, because we know that Mr.
1: Parker was (laughs) shipping in like pre-made, like it was, you know, pre-made food. It wasn't being made on premises anymore.
0: Oh, I miss her strudel. Mm Mm-hmm, giggity. We could have had a little bit of reminiscing about Mrs. Garrett in there. All I mean, all we've mentioned is that she's an idiot that doesn't (laughs) remember to do her job. (laughs) Scatterbrain bitch. Um, little bit cut from syndication. There are just
1: little bits and pieces cut from syndication, some nips and tucks, not much of any real consequence. But at the end of this scene in the kitchen, uh, one line that is not in the Daily Motion version is Joe does say in her doubting of the veracity of of, of uh, Franny's
0: story, Joe does say... In she the put- doubt of her veracity of... <laughs> the story yeah i'm i'm channeling beverly ann clearly jesus christ beverly
1: Ann! i once got into a fracas with the local constabulary (laughs)
0: jesus
1: (laughs) um joe does say we don't even know who she is she could be a runaway she could be faking that accent i see this at the senna all the time so we reference that joe is working at the center Oh my god, I have to credit the writers for this. Oh, it hurts. But at least they do reference that Joe is still working at the center, which we know she is. That's a good thing. Let's talk about Beverly Ann's cooter, shall we? Oh, dear. I'd rather not. <laughs> but we get such a long languid lingering vista of it when she's doing her stretching a exercises, long,
0: languiding vista of it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: stop now uh (laughs) beverly ann's J has has hypnotized me into speaking floridly like she does but you you know what i'm talking about of course you can't say you didn't notice beverly Ann is stretching in the living room and conveniently that way franny i'm making air quotes can come in and compliment her And then in addition to the full split stretch, then she tries to say, oh, well, you know, I'm just the... And then puts her leg up on the desk behind the couch, kind of ballet bar style. But basically facing camera three. So camera three is just like a full on forward, her in a split, displaying her vulva to America.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And... Making
1: America her gynecologist. (laughs) And I I hope that was something she specifically did. Now they didn't have to put it on camera. That would have been in the technical end. But uh I was just like, okay, wow. They are they are not cutting away as early as I wish they did.
0: Wow. Oh, yeah. Maybe somebody could have said, Why don't you pull your shirt out down in the front, Cloris? Yeah.
1: And she's like, "Oh, ridiculous!" And and actually, I want to do this split, but be holding two rolls of paper towels <laughs> under my arms to look like my bare tits. Um, moving on. When uh, these are just random notes. When she does find the piece of paper, when Beverly like, "Oh, here it is! Oh my goodness, it it is true. Edna did sign up for this." That uh, my thing that I wrote is why is it on them to hunt down the paperwork? to discover Edna's fuck up. It's like, bitch, you are showing up from out of the country. You produce the paperwork or get someone from the institution to call us and verify. It's like the onus is on you to justify why you're here. Why the fuck is it our job?
0: Well, and I mean, again, this is where it goes back to Eastland is a boarding school. So all it would have taken was a call to Eastland. Be like, hey. Hey, Franny's here. You want to come and get her? You want us to drop her off um, for her dorm assignment? Yeah, thank you. Her dorm assignment. And she's a little
1: bit of a hoodlum. She might yeah. need to work in the cafeteria. Just saying.
0: <laughs> um, we need to send her on a rock hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Walk about to a rock hunt.
1: Uh, so... Let's talk about the dad, the guy that plays Pippa's dad. The actor's name is Michael Preston. He's actually an English actor born and raised in England and started his career there. Uh, 57 credits in a 33 year career, but he primarily, it seems, has worked in Australia. He was on 396 episodes of an Australian soap opera called Bellbird in the role of John Kramer in the mid 70s. And uh, he's good, you can tell he's authentic. He's, his dialect is spot on. It's like, okay, I believe he's a native or in this case, he's an Englishman who's been working in Australia for a good chunk of his career. And uh, here's a funny thing. He also had three top 40 hits in the UK singles chart, including reaching number 12 with his cover version of Mr. Blue in November, 1959, before immigrating to Australia where he worked as a nightclub singer which then transitioned into becoming a host and then a host on television and then an actor. So Hmm. he's had quite the career and I think he's wonderful. He's really nice. And I think casting wise, he was just, just the right amount of a little bit grizzled, but not too grizzled. Uh, Beverly Ann clearly uh, flooding her basement over him.
0: She's, got a type. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. So true. If it's uh, not a hunky Australian, it's Dick Van Patten. Yeah. She's yeah. She likes people who don't pronounce their Rs. <laughs> that's her type. I wanted to ask you where you parked the car. Yeah. <laughs> um so what else? What else? My problem with the dad is he walks in and he's like oh, she's always pulling stunts like this. She's always had a yearning to see America. She's 14! Yeah. Stealing identities and fleeing the country? What? Yeah. Who is
1: this person? Now, it is cut from syndication, Matthew, uh, about this. This is one little trim they did was that when he says Pippa's always wanted to see the States because her mother was American and died when Pippa was very young. So... Uh, the first time I watched the episode, I typically watch the daily motion version because I'm typically not at home. Uh, so when I first watched it, I was like, oh, fuck this little bitch. And then when I watched the full length version, I was like, well, at least they have that. To That may be what starts a touch of sympathy about her and her plight. And her dad has to work a lot. So she's home and she's lonely is what we eventually find out. And it's just like, uh, so send her over to the fucking dorms where she can make friends with girls her own age or continue going to the Kalanga school. She doesn't have any fucking friends. at the, the, Anyway. Boy.
0: The whole she's looking for a family thing was just not enough. It wasn't enough. For, nope. She's missing a real family. You are strangers to her. Agreed. This is this is not a, the the, the you
1: could, <laughs> I agree. Could, I'm the same way. I'm with would you. you. But you can you?
0: Would you? I didn't. But did you? Could? Uh.
1: I think his brain stopped, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, that killed me. Yeah, no, it's so much, so much here. Um, The cop who brings back Andy and Pippa, another one of those, oh yeah, that guy, I've seen him in a million things. The actor is Troy Evans. Uh, He has 167 credits in a 41-year career, still alive, still working. Uh, Look him up, you'll recognize him from so many, so many, so many things.
0: Uh, Just that final fucking scene with Tootie She's not as nice. We, I'm sure Franny's very nice, but she's not as nice as Pippa. And we like Pippa the way she is. This bitch has done nothing but lie, and cor- lie to you and corrupted Andy mm-hmm. since she walked in the door. Yeah. Pippa's not nice, Tootie. No, she's not. And
1: that Beverly Inn, who just earlier in the episode... Uh, irrationally turns to the dad when it's when it's apparent that the kids cut school and took off. Beverly Ann turns to the dad and says, what has your daughter done with my Andy? Accusatory. Like, he's like, bitch, back the fuck up and slow your roll. But now it's like, oh, well, uh, I think it could be a contemplative possibility that we might entertain the most whimsical of yearnings and incidental, I don't know what the fuck I'm saying anyway. Uh, but but then she turns around and she's one of those, I think I understand her. She's lonely and this. she wants a family. It's like, yeah, I want her to say she needs a real family. So for fuck's sake, go and find one and get out of our goddamn house. Oh,
0: a single dad. That's not a real family. That's... Uh... That final line with that face, how can I refuse? How can you refuse? She's 14 and she's your daughter. That's how. That's how you refuse. It's abandonment. (laughs) You you say, no, you cannot live in another country away from me because you're 14 and I'm not leaving you with these total strangers that have just said, yeah, this girl can live with us. No, that's how you refuse. I hate to give parenting advice to somebody (laughs) Somebody who doesn't have children, but I have a cat. I know how to say no. (laughs) Beverly Ann lies
1: to the dad to convince him to let Pippa stay. And she says, oh, I just heard from Edna. Yeah. And she verified that she really, really wants us to do this. Yeah, that's the ticket. And then later... After the dad leaves, girls are like, when did you talk to Edna? And she says, first thing tomorrow morning. (laughs) Now let's rattle our dags and get to bed. (laughs) Ha
0: ha! I I will end it by saying, thank God for Lisa Welchel. True. Because her little asides through the whole thing kept me going and gave me life. But the truly laughed out loud. I did have a laugh out loud moment, David. Which one? <laughs> when Beverly Ann, wearing her hair net from, from bed, opens the door and sees that it's the dad. <laughs> and in one fell swoop, the prop work, the timing, opens the door. You must be looking for Beverly Ann. Beverly Ann pulls her nightcap off and opens the door again. Goes, oh, hello! Was just Cloris Leachman brilliance right there. She was.
1: I wish she had had a nightgown, like a you know, not too revealing nightgown under the bathrobe. So instead of just pulling off this ridiculous hairnet, <laughs> have her pull off the hairnet and the thing and be like, oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. Pretty funny. That was my only
0: laugh out loud moment. The yeah. whole thing. As far as the backdoor pilot, David. Oh, I would not watch this show. No, I would not.
1: And I, I've already stayed. I wasn't even thinking. I've already stated the perfect title. May I introduce you to the telephone? That's the name of the backdoor pilot. Like, are you being served?
0: May I introduce you to the telephone there? What would uh, you name it? Uh uh, I think the only thing you could name it would be Pippa, exclamation point. <laughs> and, and I'm uninterested. Yeah,
1: or or she's a pip. Uh, uh, you see what I did there? So this has been fun. Has it? I mean, talking to you about it, always. Always <laughs> fun, Matthew. Oh, the episode baby. itself, not, nah, not so much. I hate this episode this is
0: one of the all-time worst and it's and it's like okay fine introduce a new character whatever but just the this was not the way to do it do it plausibly and do it
1: credibly it's like i swear Mm. oh at least oliver was the kid's cousin On the Brady Bunch. At least it was justified oh, our cousin's gonna come stay with us. Cool.
0: And you felt pathos for him, because everything he touched turned to shit. That was Mm -hmm. the whole purpose of his first episode. That he was bad luck. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) How little did they know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, let's wrap this fucker up, and we can get back to our lives. That makes sense. Next week, we're going to be watching season nine, episode seven, called The More the Marrier, which had an original air date of November 21st, 1987. You can watch the episode ahead of time at Daily Motion. We will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. Other than that, we are done. Thank you so Mm. much for listening to this week's show. And remember...
0: The facts of life are now all about Pippa. Boo! 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 The facts of life are all about spunk spotting. The facts of life are all about handing in your dinner plate. Ugh. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.